Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, by the same Spirit who inspired the words of Holy Scripture, we pray that you will speak to our hearts today as your word is read and preached. For our Lord Jesus' sake, amen. Hear the word of God as is written in John, the ninth chapter, beginning at the first verse. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the words, the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his holy word, and to his name be ascribed all glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. 
This miracle of which we have just read is a sign that illustrates the theme, Jesus, the light of the world, which Jesus had claimed in the previous chapter and which Pastor Cox preached on last Sunday. Today's episode is the most unified of John's gospel. It gathers entirely around this healing sign, the giving of sight to the man born blind. One of the marks of the coming of the Messiah, you may remember, was when John the baptizer sent word to Jesus, are you the one or are we to look for another? And Jesus replied, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. And blessed is the one who is not offended at me. The answer assured John that Jesus was indeed the long-expected Messiah. There would be no other. This chapter shows what happens when the light shines. Some who were blind are made to see, like this man born blind, while others who are smugly sure they see clearly, like the Pharisees, turn away, blinded by the light. First, Jesus sees a man blind from birth. Jesus notices hurting people. Dale Bruner writes that he once heard a wise pastor say, if we who preach and teach had x-ray eyes and could see the hearts of the people sitting before us, who from the outside look quite all right, we would break down and bolt. There are many hurting people around us. I'm sure many of you here today are under heavy burden. Some are in physical pain. Others have chronic bodily disabilities with which you struggle every day. Some are dealing with rapidly deteriorating health. Some are caring for a child born with serious disabilities. Some of you are wondering how to best help aging parents, sometimes against their stubborn wills. Others of you have had a hard life because you were born with handicaps. Some may be filled with shame that has encased you like a cocoon for a long, long time. Some are worried about family matters or close friends. Still others are emotionally challenged. Some are dealing with broken relationships and resulting loneliness. Others are mourning the death of a loved one, shattered dreams, or the loss of a job. Some are feeling stunned by life circumstances. J. Gresham Machen, a great defender of the Orthodox Christian faith in a prior generation, said, Christianity is the religion of the broken heart. All of you brokenhearted, Jesus has compassion for you and is willing to touch your life at the point of your deepest need. God often uses our felt needs to draw us to Jesus. Jesus sees the blind man and has sympathy for him. The disciples see the blind man and want to have a theological discussion. They ask, who sinned, this man or his parents? They made the mistake of thinking that because sin brought suffering into this world, there's a direct link between the particular afflictions of an individual and his or her own sin. The powerful account of Job ought to have taught them better than this. Job suffered greatly, but through no particular fault of his own. Jesus 
quickly answers that it was neither this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And this is true of our own suffering. Because we live in a fallen world, we should not be surprised when we suffer. Although it's not wrong to ask why, even Jesus asked why on the cross. We ought to ask rather, how can this suffering glorify God? If you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior and are seeking to serve Him as your Lord, you can know beyond a doubt that He has set His affection on you. Only God knows why we go through the things we go through. But the promise of God is that He brings good out of everything that happens to those who love Him. God uses our worst pain, our most intense suffering, and the most confusing events of our lives to bring about, ultimately, his own glory. Then in our text, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because the night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is referring, first of all, to his own brief earthly ministry. But I think all of us, whether we live comparatively short or long lives, on this earth need to realize that we don't have forever to do God's will. We must work while it is day for the night is coming when no one can work. The existence of human suffering in this fallen world is a call to Christians not only to think about it and have feelings of pity for its victims but to actively seek to help. In another place Jesus had said to his disciples You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Of course, this light is not our own light. It's the light of Jesus reflected from us like the light of the moon reflects the original light of the sun. When Jesus returns, he expects to find his servants busily applying themselves to the tasks he has given them to do. Night is coming. Jesus and for us, there are some things that won't keep until this earthly life is is ended. Therefore, we need to work to accomplish his will while we're given time. All through scripture, we're plainly shown that God's people must show concern for the sick, the hungry, the downtrodden, and the oppressed. Now, I realize there are different, often conflicting political ideas about the best way to help the poor in our nation. But one thing a serious Christian simply cannot say and be consistent with Scripture is, needy people are not my concern. I'll live my own comfortable life, thank you, and not show mercy or care about them. Anyway, they're probably in need because they're lazy and good for nothing. A person who has this attitude is really no Christian at all. When we find people in need in our paths, we need to ask the Lord and ourselves, how can I help? And if we don't see anybody in need in our path, we ought to go looking for them because they're all around us. There are many people who need help. And an important part of being a part of the church of Jesus Christ is that when we need help, and we will, that we receive it with grace 
and thanksgiving. So in our scripture today, Jesus helped. He who is the light of the world opens the eyes of the man born blind. The witness to this divine nature of our Lord is powerful. Remember in chapter 8, he had explicitly claimed to be God. And they had taken up stones to execute him for blasphemy. And it would have been blasphemy if Jesus had been only human. But while Jesus was and is truly human, he was and is also truly God. And therefore, it was perfectly right that he should accept the worship that belongs to God alone. You remember the great old hymn, Beautiful Savior, Lord of the nations, Son of God and Son of Man, glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. Jesus is saying, whenever I'm in a life, I am the light of that life. Everyone wonders sometimes, why am I here? Where am I going? What does my life mean? Anything? You can't arrive at satisfying answers to these questions apart from Jesus Christ. John records this miracle simply. He says the man went, did what Jesus had told him to do, and came back seeing. Think of it. This man didn't know much about Jesus, but what he, he did what Jesus told him to do, and he was healed. The man had never seen before. Can you imagine? So he couldn't accurately imagine what anything looked like. And there he is. He sees for the first time in his life. He can see. And his whole life is changed, transformed from this moment on. This miracle is attested, we note, by a public official investigation as for proof. We have not only the testimonies of the man who was healed and of his parents and of his neighbors, but even the unwilling admissions of the Pharisees who wanted to discredit Jesus. They, they had to admit he couldn't see before. Now he can. Now, you'll recall the Pharisees had a correct view of Scripture, yet most of them rejected Jesus. You see, they used their right doctrine of Scripture and their attempt at scrupulous law-keeping as a means not to repentance and faith and service, but to feel better about themselves and look down on everybody else. They were full of self-righteousness, a delusion. They even pointed to their own legalistic orthodoxy in order to demonstrate their righteousness before God and superiority to others, therefore missing the whole point. In another place, Jesus compared them to outwardly, finely decorated graves, but inside they were full of rotting bones. You know, I think the example of Pharisees in the New Testament ought to be a sober warning to people who are a part of a church like Rivermont. This is a church that has always professed allegiance to the Bible as the infallible Word of God written to the Reformed Doctrine of the Westminster Standards, and to Christ-centered preaching that lifts up Jesus and Him crucified as the only Savior. Most of you who are members of this congregation are here precisely because of this stand for the truth of the Gospel. Now let me assure you, I enthusiastically stood for these truths 
during my long pastorate here, and I passionately proclaim them now. They are critically important, especially in our culture, which increasingly despises them. But I think we need to realize that it's possible to hide behind a being valiant for truth and at the same time be far from Jesus. Jesus, quoting Isaiah, said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The New Testament description of the Pharisees ought to warn us that it is possible to be so proud of our doctrinal correctness that we use it to be self-congratulatory and look down on everybody else. We're faithful. They're not. Wow. And God weeps. Faithfulness is much more than a matter of simply confessing the right doctrine. What do we do? How do we respond to Jesus Christ? The only way we can receive Jesus is when we're humble and know that nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. When we know that we have nothing to offer him except our sinfulness, our lostness. The gospel finding us in dust and ashes lifts us up into forgiveness and new life in Jesus. So we are proud not of ourselves, but of Jesus Christ alone. As Paul said, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. Let us boast in Jesus and his cross alone. Where is your heart this morning? Paul David Tripp rightly points out, the awe that captures your heart will control your life. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is He the awe that has captured your heart? The passage before us this morning reminds us that all of us have been born spiritually blind. The Apostle Paul writes, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. If we don't realize at least something of our own need, we will not be drawn to Jesus. The sense of urgency applies not only to doing the work of God that he's called us to do, but to respond to the gracious invitation of the gospel. What have you done with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus now? As the apostle writes to the Corinthians, Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. From now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, or we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Do you hear the apostles pleading? Do you hear his passion for the gospel? Do you hear him urging people, begging people to come to Jesus? This was not a detached, academic sort of lecture. Paul was pleading for people to come to Jesus. Have you come to Jesus? And I think in this passage it's significant that Jesus sent the blind man to the pool called Sent. God the Father had sent our Lord Jesus Christ into the world, and Jesus sends us into the world with the good news. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save lost sinners. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can save any sinner across the whole wide world. So let us go and give and pray that the world may know. The man who had been blind said, One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. Here the man who was formerly blind gives witness to what Jesus had done for him. And that's good. But it's important to know that this in itself is not sharing the gospel. Of course, it's important for us to be able to share our own story The Apostle Paul did this when making his defense before Felix the governor. Some people may be able to relate to our story. This is how relationships are formed and deepened. But as significant as your own story is, it's not the same as the gospel. Because your story is about you. And the gospel is about Jesus Christ and what he had done for us. The gospel which is powerful to save, is about Jesus. Let me summarize it for you. All human beings, all of us, are rebels against our Creator. For this rebellion, we deserve all the sufferings in this life and the pains of hell forever. But God, in His great mercy, came in the person of His eternal Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life for us, to die on the cross, thereby taking the punishment our sins deserve. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, thereby proving that he was the person he claimed to be, that he did what he claimed to do. He laid down his life for our sins. All who now turn to him and trust him are forgiven. John Bunyan, the famed author of The Pilgrim's Progress, wrote, Christ worked out our salvation that we might have peace, joy, heaven, and glory forever. And he was sent forth sweating blood in agony and wrestling with the thoughts of death, which he was to suffer for our sins. He cried, wept, mourned under the lashes of justice. He was nailed to the cross with his arms wide open, to show the freeness of his merit would be bestowed on us if we come. Oh, how heartily will he receive us into his arms. He offers all freely 
Yes, he comes to the world of the, to the word of the gospel with blood running down his face, tears upon his cheeks, fresh wounds in his hands and feet, and blood still flowing from his side to entreat you to accept his gracious offer of reconciliation. Will you love sin more than grace? Darkness more than light? Will you shut your eyes to him who loves you? Will you run the hazard of death in the day of judgment? Will you despise him and reject his grace? Oh, my friend, come to the light. Come to the light of the world. Come to Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. This passage of Scripture also gives us a significant example of the development of faith. A man born blind recognizes Jesus first simply as a man called Jesus, and he obeys him. Then he calls Jesus a prophet, and then he admits Jesus is from God. And finally, in response to Jesus' question, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Do you believe in Jesus today? What do you believe about him? Just a good man? Just one of the prophets? Follow the light that you have so far. This morning I invite you to give as much as you understand of yourself to as much as you understand of Jesus. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, may you come to the full light of Jesus and cry out as the Apostle Thomas did, My Lord! And my God, if you're here this morning and not trusting in Jesus as your Savior or seeking to serve him as your Lord, I beg you, do not delay. Come to Jesus now. If you're trusting Jesus and seeking to serve him as your Lord, I urge you to let your, sh- let your light shine more brightly in this world. The well-known Nashville pastor, Scotty Smith, rightly wrote, Because of Christ's finished work on the cross, our works are now deeds of doxology and works of worship, acts of adoration and labors of love. We work not to get anything from him, but because we have all things in him. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. We pray that you will shine the light of your glorious gospel into our hearts and grip us and enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to respond with all that we are and have. For your own name's sake, amen.